0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cornerstone. We are so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time visiting us, I encourage you to stop by Guest Services, located on the large pallet wall in the lobby. Our greeters would be happy to answer any of your questions, give you information about upcoming events and ongoing programs, and we have a free gift for you to take home. You can also text our Guest Services team at 717 219 4080, and they would be happy to answer any questions you may have. If you've been wanting to learn more about Cornerstone and how to get connected here, sign up for our Next Steps class being held next Sunday, January 26th, following the 1030 service. In this class, we'll go over some basic information about our church and give you lots of information about how you can get connected and plugged in. You can sign up on our website at cccduncanon.com slash events at guest services in the lobby or send us a text message to 717-219-4080. Next Sunday is also Food Bank Sunday. On the last Sunday of every month, we'll be collecting items for the Perry County Food Bank. And speaking of the food bank, we just wanted to say thank you to everyone that helped with our birthday bags. Last Sunday, we packed 310 bags to be delivered to the Perry County Food Bank and given to children in our community to help them celebrate their birthdays each month. We also had an additional 28 items that our youth group packed on Wednesday, bringing our grand total to 338 bags. This is over 100 more bags than what our goal was. So thank you for everyone that helped by donating, packing, signing cards, or just praying for this great opportunity to love our community. Thanks for coming, everyone. I hope you have a great week.
1: Thanks for being awesome and braving the roads, and we're glad that people didn't brave the roads because I'm sure for some people where they live, it's dangerous. My name is Dave Sherwood. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, and I am going to talk a little bit about happiness today Uh, without a show of hands, but then the general question becomes something like this. How many of us would like to be happy? And pretty much everybody's hand would go up in the air, and then the next question becomes, well, how do we get there? Well, that's where things become a little bit more complex. Because obviously, everybody at Amazon and everybody on eBay and every advertiser on anything you see on television is trying to sell you something that's aiming towards happiness. The big question becomes does Jesus, does God have something maybe countercultural to all of that that generates happiness? So, we're in a series that's all about the pursuit of happiness. Now, I want to kind of just share something kind of as an opening illustration. We'll pray here in a minute. But the opening illustration is something you've probably heard before. And so you may be in a moment where you're whiny. I don't know if ever you get whiny, but I certainly get whiny. And I get whiny, and I'm like, I'm exhausted. And and so I say this to a couple of different places and people, and, and nobody ever gives me any sympathy. And then uh, somebody says something stupid. Just just the, the most insane thing they could say. They... Oh, you're exhausted, You need to go work out. Now wait, wait a minute. I have no energy. Why would I go someplace to deplete what little energy I have? And here's the weird thing: If you go work out, I could pretty much promise you that for the first two or three weeks, you're just going to hate it. It's just a nightmare. But sometime around week three or four, it kicks in. Your metabolism has made an adjustment. And you actually, even though you're expending all kinds of energy, you now have this stockpile of energy. Now, the reason why I wanted to throw this out just as this general kind of illustration is that it's this thing we call counterintuitive. It's not the way we... We just instinctively think about things. It's a little bit different. And what we're going to be talking about today is generosity and happiness. And it's going to be a little counterintuitive. Before we do anything further, let's, let's pray together. So if you'll shut your eyes, bow your heads, open up your hearts and your minds. And whether you believe or don't believe, just enter in as best you can in your spirit. Father God, we come to you. And we come to you looking, looking for truth, looking for feelings, looking for faith, looking for hope, looking, looking for so many things that we can't seem to find in this place. Would you come meet us wherever we're at? Would you teach us? Would you show us the path? Would you knock on our door? Would you help us let you in? We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen. So, I don't know about you, but there is this thing um, that I have a tendency towards called hoarding. Okay, just stockpile stuff. You know, literally before I throw something out, I may take all the screws out and put the screws into a mason jar out in, you know, my workshop. Now, where did I learn this sort of hoarding mentality? Well, I learned it from my parents. My parents were both raised in the Great Depression. My parents were both raised by single parents. And so we were just kind of taught from a young age, nobody's taking care of you. You've got to take care of yourself. And so if you're going to make it, if you're going to survive, if you're going to be happy, you have to stockpile stockpile for your vacation, stockpile to go skiing, stockpile the money for the good liquor, just stockpile, stockpile. And you know what? I I believed all that. It was pretty normative. It was pretty consumeristic, capitalistic. It's kind of the way America runs until I met this crazy woman on the front row. If you weren't here last week, she's the crazy stalker woman in my life my wife Amy, and I meet Amy, and Amy's family is considerably poorer than my family, but Amy's family is also considerably happier than my family, and they're not stockpiling anything, they're stewards of everything. What does that mean? It means that they view every single thing that they have as something that's in transition. It's all from God, and it's all going somewhere else. We say that again. It's all from God, it's going somewhere else. And as stewards, the fun of life is not stockpiling, trying to ram happiness down our own throats, it's stewarding and trying to generate happiness in other people's lives. Extraordinarily different way of approaching life. And as I was first kind of entering into this Christianity thing, it was glaring, it was shocking. The differential between the way my family operated and the way her family operated. But let's do some science before we talk about kind of the scriptures about things. The science of generosity is actually kind of fascinating. I read a whole bunch of different studies this week where they give money to people and they hook up an MRI and they're checking regions in the brain and they do these longitudinal studies. Some of them are for months, some of them are as long as a decade. And they notice these things about people that are in positions or given money, given opportunity, given all kinds of things to be able to engage in generosity. And these were some of the things that they noticed about people that were generous, people that were generous, it decreased their amygdala, that's part of your brain that is the anxiety center, which is pumped full of cortisol, and it it, it, it decreases the amount of cortisol going out, which means that your depression goes down, your heart attacks go down, your strokes go down, and your diabetes is under control better. The other thing is, does it increases the brain chemistry output of your dopamine and endorphins? It boosts immunity, it releases feelings associated with hope, joy and peace. And what's my point in all of this? My point in all of this is it's kind of fascinating based upon the scriptures that we're going to talk about today. It's almost as if your brain is wired for happiness. In a way that's counterintuitive to the way we think we should do things. And yet it's completely in alignment with what God says in his instruction book about how to live life. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9.10. It says, This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something that you can give away, which grows into fully formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Now, there's two things going on here one is the focus on the generosity of God. And the big question becomes, When was the last time you really sat and soaked in that idea? What has God given you? What is that he hasn't given you? Let that be profound. What is that he hasn't given you? Your taste, your touch, your heart. Your gifts, your mind, every breath, time, and the list just goes on and on and on. And if you really, again, just don't not, not just have a quick thought about it, but if you soak in it and you go, why? Because that's the question, right? I mean, if, if somebody gives you anything, you've got to ask the question: why would they do that? Why would he be so extravagant, so overwhelming towards us? Oftentimes we don't say thank you. Oftentimes we're not very appreciative. Oftentimes we whine and complain. It wasn't on my Christmas list, Santa Claus. We aren't super appreciative. So you would think that he would withdraw. But but no, literally everything that is comes from him. And more than that, it comes from who he is. Now, the question becomes after soaking in that and kind of standing outside maybe sometime today and just going, wow, every breath, every thought, my body, all of my senses, everything is from you and tears roll down and you're just filled with gratitude. The next question becomes, does that become infectious? If you make the transition from being somebody that's sort of oblivious to God's generosity to being somebody that's very aware of God's generosity, then does it start to turn and face itself outward? Because those of us that are Christians want to be like God. And so as we're receiving, we want to be. Distributing, And you may be thinking, as I thought when I was initially in church, and if somebody would bring up a sermon or an idea, something like that, they'd be, be like, great, I don't have any money. You've got something. You've got something to be generous with. Time, listening, wisdom, maybe a skill. You've got something to be generous with which can transform other people's lives. God's constantly wanting to take his generosity and heave it down on me and transform my life. And then the question becomes, do I become infectious in trying to do that out into the world? I want you to watch a video here for a minute about generosity. It's kind of big idea in the Bible. And then we'll come back and hit some more verses.
2: Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world, under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet he would say things like this, look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand. But he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough, and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere, with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous
1: host. In Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, it says this. The world of the generous gets larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. What's going on? What's going on is there's this fork in the road about what you believe. Literally, it's a civil war in your mind, and it'll show up many times in your life. There's times when relationships will go down in flames, and you'll decide, am I going to retreat into hoarding myself onto myself, or am I going to risk again there's times when money seems to disappear. And the question becomes, I've got I to scramble and keep everything for myself. Am I going to give anything to God and to give anything to others? Am I going to trust what's in my hands or what I can grasp, what I can control, or am I going to trust someone else more than I trust myself? In Luke 6, 38 it says this this is Jesus speaking give away your life you and think about that for just a second he he practices what he preaches give away your life and you'll find life given back and not merely given back given back with a bonus and a blessing giving not getting is the way generosity begets generosity Oh, what, what's going on with what he's trying to put into play here? The Romans are conquerors. They take. And there are all kinds of people out there that take. And we look around and we go, we, we've got to become a conqueror. I've got, to, I've got to ascend at my job. I've got to ascend in my relationship. I've got to become the taker because the takers are the ones that are happy and have full bellies and are okay. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, no, no they're not happy. They'll never be happy. They're miserable. They can't look themselves in the eye. Oh, sure, they get drunk. They get bombed. They do all kinds of things. They have little moments. But it's not my design. It's not, you know, you want to know who's happy? Follow me. I'm a servant. I give away. I'm not worried about hoarding stuff. I'm very much doing the exact opposite. I'm giving my heart away. I'm giving my wisdom away. I'm giving my time away. I'm washing the feet of people. I'm a servant. What do you believe? Because that civil war goes on sooner or later, and anybody that's going to claim to become a Christ follower, and the Christ-following question is going to become, which one do you believe? I remember when I was a non-Christian, what I thought was going to happen was I'm going to be, become a Christian, become this Jesus follower. I, I believe this is true, and he's going to tweak some things. You know, maybe I'm a, I, you know, I'm a sports car. I'm going to get a new carburetor, okay? Ah, cool. You know, he's going, to, he's going to fix my morality, or he's going to fix this thing, or he's going to fix this thing. But it doesn't take long to, for you to start to realize that he doesn't want to just tweak us. He wants to completely overhaul and rebuild everything. That it's not going to just be a little tweak here and there and elsewhere. That he's going to systemically come in and take out part by part by part and super improve it. Now, here's the really interesting question. Is he super improving it just for you? Or is he super improving it for you and the world? because the best version of you you at peak capacity are flooding out into the world you at peak capacity are super happy super filled with joy and meaning and identity and purpose but you at peak capacity is generous it says this in 1 Timothy 6:18 through 19 tell them this is Paul, a senior pastor, talking to a young church planter, tell them, the people at this church plant, to go after God. And then notice what's going to happen next. Who piles on the riches we could ever imagine. That sounds good, right? I mean, it's prosperity gospel. That's TV stuff. Okay? Sign him for this. Tell them to go after God because he's going to pile on riches. You probably want to stop there if you're going to do the prosperity gospel or karma. Because what he says next is this, he's going to pile on these riches, more than we could even manage, but these are riches to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. That's counterintuitive. That this generous God wants to pour so much into your life. And there you are in the richness of his grace and his mercy and his wisdom and his, the skills that he gave you and everything else. And he wants you to distribute. To distribute it out and about. I worked at a homeless shelter. And uh, there's this one lady in the homeless shelter she, I can't remember her name right now. Forgive me, but um, it's this big open room like this, and she sat. She she laid right there. She loved my coffee. I made the coffee there. I made it right. And she and I would talk about all sorts of things. And one of the things that she did is she was constantly out and about all day long in Denver, just gathering stuff. You know, g- gathering food or an umbrella or. Just anything, anywhere, dumpster diving or somebody just comes up to her and she she gets all this stuff. And and what do you do with it? Because you're homeless, right? I mean, you're freaked out, right? You have nothing, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to take those and get a bunch of garbage bags and go hide it under the bridge because that's what you do when you're homeless. But not her. She came in every day with her garbage bags. She'd rip them open on the table and say to all the girls, come on. One day, she and I were talking about just all of life, and, and uh, I don't know how we got onto this, but I, I, I ended up telling her that I'd always wanted a Hudson Bay blanket. I have no idea why. They're like these really thick blankets. They've got like red stripes, yellow stripes, green stripes on it, and uh, they're super crazy expensive. And so, but we were talking about this. I just love wool blankets, like a cup of coffee, a good book, curled up. I'm happy as a clam. And the next, the next day, she shows up at the shelter, and she goes, David, yes, come here. I go over, and in her sleeping bag, she unzips her sleeping bag, and she does a little peek, and there is a like, brand new Hudson Bay blanket. And she's like, it's, it's for you. And I'm like, that's crazy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm running through my mind a couple of things. I'm going, okay, A, a I can't accept gifts. I mean, you're in super poverty, and I am like work here, and that's like a no-no. And secondly, oh, crap, I told her about a Hudson Bay blanket. She went and stole it from Macy's. But then she said this, she said, she said no, 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 I, I, I got this a while ago, and it was just one of those special things, but, you know, being homeless, like carrying around a Hudson Bay blanket, it's just not practical for us, but it was one of those special things, and I was waiting for God to say who to give it to. I was waiting for who God wanted me to give it to, that how could somebody that's homeless be that way? One of the hardest things I ever learned about generosity was actually when I was going to go to seminary, and so I was thinking about seminary, and I had an uncle that was going to pay my way through seminary, and I told my father-in-law about my uncle wanting to pay my way through seminary, and I told my father-in-law something I would think a normal father-in-law would want, which is what I was going to say: "No, I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want his money because I want to pull myself up on my own bootstraps, and I want to go to seminary, and 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 you know," and my father-in-law said this: He said. How dare you? What? How dare you steal that man's joy? What are you talking about? Well, my father-in-law had run inner-city rescue missions, and he had found out something about some people that were very generous with their money. People that are very generous with their money are just looking, they're scanning the landscape for where God wants to release things into. And when that happens, they are filled with joy. And I was going to shut that down. Now here's the thing, with generosity, whatever generosity God's calling you to, it's going to look like scanning the landscape with your free time, scanning the landscape with your ability to listen, scanning the landscape with your Compassion, Scanning the landscape of the fact that you know how to do plumbing or electrical work. Scanning the landscape of all sorts of things and then looking to release. It's from God. It's just passing through you, but you get the joy. Do you think that way yet? In Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, this is talking about how Israel operated back in the day. At the end of every third year, you gather the tithe of all of your produce from that year and put it aside into storage and keep it in reserve for a couple of people, for the Levite who won't get any property or inheritance as you will, those are the priests. And also you're gathering this tithe for the the foreigner, for the orphan, and for the widows that live in your neighborhood. That way they'll all have plenty to eat and God, your God, will bless you in all your work. And you start to see when you read the Old Testament, this community that God's trying to build, you saw it in the video. It's part of what we want to do here in Perry County. I'm going to have you watch a video here in a second. Some of you have already seen this little TV thing about us doing the little birthday bag things. I want you to watch that and then I'm going to come back and offer some commentary and a couple more things.
0: Birthdays are something kids look forward to, but some families can't afford to celebrate. And that's why a church in Perry County is stepping up to help. Daniel Hamburg reports. The folks here at
3: Cornerstone Christian Church know it's hard enough for some families just to put food on the table, let alone throw a birthday party for their kids, but they want to make sure that everyone feels special on their big day.
0: We felt it was really important, regardless of financial needs, that kids can celebrate and they can feel normal. And we wanted to be able to take that burden off of families so that they didn't have to tell their kids they had to do without.
3: Just a simple cake and candles can make any kid feel special. That's why for the second year, Cornerstone Christian Church in Penn Township is collecting donations to make birthday bags.
0: We're looking for box cake mix, icing, birthday candles, um, balloons, packs of party plates, and then gender-neutral cards that can be signed and given to any kid.
3: Outreach director Megan Safko says the response last year was great, enabling them to put together 189 bags.
0: It all goes through the food bank, so we don't get to see direct reactions, but um, I know every kid loves a birthday, and they were just so excited and thankful that it was something they didn't have to worry about providing for their kids.
3: The generosity of others is making it so families who visit the Perry County Food Bank will not only be able to put food on the table, but put a smile on their faces too.
0: People can come here and donate or they can contact our church and we'd be happy to pick up or arrange a time um, outside of our normal hours.
3: The deadline to donate is Sunday, January 12th, and after the second service here at the church that day, they're hoping to pack 220 bags. In Perry County, Daniel Hamburg, ABC 27 News.
1: Now obviously that deadline's already come and gone. The big question becomes, were you in the stream of that? No, no. Not just as simple as, you know, A, hey, did I get the birthday bags? It's more than that. It's are you in the stream of this joy that's available to you, that's outwardly focused? Are you tapping into it? In a lot of ways, you know, the, the little cliche is you can't outgive God. And I, I agree actually with that. It's not necessarily a cliche, but it's a saying. I would say this, maybe just to make it more practical you can't outgive Megan Safko. And well, what do I mean by that? I mean, here, here's the deal. We, we did one thing, we did the birthday bags, and we've done a whole bunch of other things, and we're generating some joy out in the lives of other people and hope out in the lives of other people. But maybe I would say I would double-dog dare you to have Megan choke on so many opportunities to bless others. What do you, what do you mean, choke on opportunities? I mean, what else can we do? What would it look like for our church to be just a hub of generosity constantly? It says this in Malachi 3.10. It says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. It's the double dog dare of the Old Testament, where God basically says, bring. Now, you've noticed that to this point in time, I've said there's lots of different ways to be generous, but I I will warn you, generosity is infectious. And the easiest generosity is the place where it's easiest for you to trust God. You may say, it's easy for me to offer compassion, but I'm terrified about my money. And God may very well say Let's take your compassion. Let's build some trust with me. Let's engage that and engage joy. But I'm going to warn you that I'm, I'm coming for the money. Why is he coming for the money? It's competition. What do you mean it's competition? It's an idol. What do you mean it's an idol? It's what you trust more than him. And it's not always money. It's whatever it is. That the generosity is the slimmest is the place where you least trust God. God and it's also the place you have the least joy and the least hope and the least fun so here's some practical applications pray about becoming generous with God's stuff what do you mean with God's stuff well we already talked about this everything is his so you're just praying about being generous with everything that is his secondly list your resources and gifts on a sheet of paper sit down I'm good at plumbing, I'm good at cooking, I'm good at this, I'm good at that. Just create that list. Get it firm in your mind. You're praying, you're getting it firm in your mind. These are all the resources that I've got, and I'm starting to ask God to show me people and places to distribute these things to. You're great at baking? Great. Then bake For the homeless, bake for your neighbor, bake for the person in prison or assisted living. You you, can write, you you can write, and you've got compassion. People in prison, Christians in prison all around the world. There's all sorts of ways that you can be generous. Number four, be consistent and disciplined in your giving. What do I mean by that? I mean that the way this joy that I've talked about boots up is not instantaneous. What do you mean? I mean, obeying God doesn't get an immediate return in the same way that sinning does. I get a bottle of alcohol, chug, chug, chug. I'm happy. I get a hangover, make bad decisions, consequences. But it works instantaneously. The way God functions in terms of the way he brings joy and happiness is through trusting him. The reward is in actually engaging it consistently. Number four, enjoy and thank God for the opportunities to give. And then the final one is become generous in another area of your life once you generate some momentum in one area. There's this picture in my mind. I, I don't know how to explain it other than to tell you a scene in a movie. There's this cheesy 1960s movie called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. It's about St. Francis. And there's this Time in the movie where there's a contrast between two churches. In one church, everybody's all dressed up. And they very elaborately are putting their money into the coffers so that everybody knows how much money that they've given. And it's very stagnant, and it's very stale, and it's very boring and snobbish. St. Francis starts a church on this side of town with the poor. And they show the scene inside the church. Man, I, wh- wh- what did you bring? I, I brought flowers. I brought a deer. I brought some f- frozen meat. I, I brought an extra shirt. I brought, and they just distribute it to each other. And some of the people there are like, well, I know somebody that, that, that has a house and they need this thing. And, and this room is full of joy and hope and happiness and brightness and life and sunshine. But here's the deal. The the deal is not what's going on at church. The deal is, as we sang in one of the songs, being the church. Do we believe that God is outrageously generous with us? And do we believe that he wants to extend that generosity through us? And if you'll step into that, joy will come to you and to others. But if we hoard... We are outside of the kingdom's design and intentions. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you, Father, and we, we're trying to recognize your outrageous, extravagant generosity towards us. And Father, we're a frightened people, and we've been burned by things, and we have a tendency to, to hoard things and to hide. And it doesn't bring us a whole lot of happiness. Or joy. And so we would ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would spark us with trust and faith to give again. To give the way you gave. Not just the whole universe, but to give the way you gave when you sent your Son. And showed us the meaning of the sacrificial life. And we pray that you would encourage us and inspire us forward. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, amen.